Welcome to Post Speed Ahead. I'm Craig Fuller here with the CEO of TransPlace, Frank McGuigan. Frank, how are you? I'm doing great, Craig. How are you today? Good. 2020 has been a really chaotic year on so many fronts. I don't think that's news to anybody in transportation or out of transportation. How have things been going for TransPlace? Well, first of all, I agree with you. This is, and I've said this to a number of folks, this has been the most tumultuous year I've ever seen in this space. And I've been doing this for 30 years, and I'm sure you've seen the exact same thing, Craig. And, and so things are going well for TransPlace this year. Uh, I mean, it's been, it's been quite a ride. Like everyone, we had to move quickly off-site in the beginning of March and, and make sure that that did not impact our customers at all. Um, and in that, we still wanted to deliver our business plan for our shareholders. So how do you find that balance? Overall, I, I, I can tell you for certainty, we're not going to hit our, uh, our, our budget this year, uh, mostly because of the second quarter. But what I can also say is we're still going to deliver growth for our shareholders this year, and uh, both on the top and bottom line. And with a core part of our business, the core part of our business, actually having significant double-digit growth. So Pretty good year for TransPlace, and again, for our customers and shippers, a very tumultuous year. Some, you know, really bringing in a lot of revenue given the demand of their product, and others, you know, really watching their business closely and trying to understand where this market's going to come out. Now, Frank, TransPlace has been around almost 20 years. Uh, when, when was the born-on date of TransPlace? When did you guys found the company? I, I think, actually, we're, we're more than 25 years old at this point, and, and uh, the company absolutely dates before uh, the end of the last millennium. And, and so, um, and, and as you're well aware, just from our history, um, our, uh, what TransPlace is experiencing the benefit of is, is a little bit of a flywheel effect on this focus in this one area, and that's delivering value in, uh, uh, through technology and services to uh, shippers. And, and so it was something that we were good at and got better at and got better and ultimately built this domain expertise with the technology right in play. And we're, we're feeling the benefit of that right now and, and at the right time of the world to be participating in that benefit, if you know what I'm saying. So you've seen a lot of cycles in this industry. Would you describe this year as the most chaotic in terms of just volatility? Or have you, does this remind you of 2001, 2008? Is there any correlation to 2020? There are some correlations. What I would say is, is it's a combination of all those cycles in one year, and that's what makes it so interesting, right? And so um, we've never seen an S-curve kind of on spot rates in the same year, you know, where, where you see what, what does, what's the spot rate per mile, um, you know, February 4th versus June 4th versus September 4th, right? And, and so it's, it's amazing what's happened, and that's really taken our shippers for a very interested ride. And it's all for a bunch of different reasons that I'm sure that you've already spoken about uh, on your network as well as what you've read about. That is dislocated demand, dislocated carriers, right? Uh, pent up demand, you know, clogging up the ports of entry into our United States right now. And so there, there's a lot going on that makes this a very challenging year, unlike any year that I've seen all in the same year, if that makes sense. Now, TransPlace has one of the largest, uh, in terms of managed transportation, you guys are, are one of the largest providers of transportation services across, uh, really, the world. Would, what, are you, what is your sense of what's happening on the ground or just in the market? Is this a volume-driven uh, activity? Is it displacement? Is it a combination of all of the above? 
Yes, so it is a combination of all of above. And, and so, uh, and to your point, I, we are the largest uh, freight owner management company in, in, in the world as it relates to managing shipper networks, right? And so, the networks that we manage all in uh, um, the modes that we manage for our shippers all combine to a little over $11 billion. And, and so what we see is, is um, in our business from a net standpoint growth, even at every single quarter this year has had growth, even though some of our business has dropped off in some sectors, other sectors have more than picked up that, uh, 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 that drop off and, and delivered net growth to the business. So there certainly is a volume and demand component pulling that. On top of that, you know, there is, uh, there's two years of, of uh, what I would say uh, um, not replenishing commitment, uh, not replenishing assets into the trucking business, right? There are drivers that are sitting at home right now unemployed and, and receiving a check. And then there's dislocation. And what I mean by dislocation is, is the way the network ran in February, the global network, or and, and specifically the domestic network, it's different now. Where are those needs happening? Like, look at what's happened to the major retail uh, supply chains and what's funneling through kind of those nodes right now versus other more standard non-e-commerce-based retail supply chains. And look what's actually flowing through those, you know. Um, and, and some of our customers that, that traditionally haven't experienced the growth in their business, they've had slow, steady growth, have had this incredible surge. And all of a sudden, so their networks are completely out of whack due to that demand. Others, industrial manufacturers, are used to a little bit more cyclicality in their business. So they're used to that. But when their business is starting to coming back, all that demand, all that capacity has been pulled into these other areas that I just described. Now, are we seeing that now, Frank, this being, you know, mid-September, are you actually seeing the, the, the industrial economy, some of the sort of uh, parts that are more cyclical and more exposed to economic cycles, are those coming back online or are they still uh, relatively slow and we're just seeing a massive consumer boom? Yeah, they're, they're not pre-March levels, but they're slow. We, we view that and they tell us, you know, slow, steady growth. Uh, coming out of the year into next year, right? And, and so, um, and that's what makes this freight market that interesting because we don't see significant tail off in some of the high performing sectors, right? And, and so um, I saw, you know, I saw a can of disinfectant on your table there before we went live here. <laughs> you know, you can't keep those things on the shelf right now, you know? And, and so, um, uh, so some of these sectors are not slowing down. Shelf stable foods, not really slowing down. And you're going to have that slow return of the industrial economy, all against a backdrop of what I consider to be um, same or limited capacity, depending on the driver situation and kind of where the need is. Right. So right now, as an example, uh, um, we're a major player on, at the, at, uh, on the Mexican border, as you're well aware. And, and there is so much more freight coming north than there is going south and and and. and that, rep that represents kind of a, a dislocation of consumption patterns, right? Mexico's not far along enough kind of in their COVID journey to open up and start consuming more. And, and we're a little ahead. And, and so we have a, a, a tremendous amount kind of coming north and not enough going into their marketplace. And it, it creates that imbalance. All, all the historical models are, I mean, they're useful to, to get references of where we were, but 
they're breaking down in terms of, of just providing any level of visibility. As this economy sort of resets and consumer behavior changes and corporate behavior changes. I was uh, talking to Will O'Donnell with Prologis, who's an investor in Freightways, and we were talking about uh, onshoring or bringing back manufacturing and supply chains that are sourced exclusively from the domestic market. Are you also hearing the same from your customers? We are, and we think Mexico's feeling that. And in fact, um, there's a, there's an unbelievable opportunity for Mexico right now. And, and I, I do think that with kind of the USMCA moving along and getting through, uh, very important because folks are diversifying their supply base and trying to get closer to the consumption point. And, and it's not because, you know, the Shanghai index is up, you know, two to three times where it was even a year ago. It's because speed and it's because of, of just... Um, events like this that require a little bit more nimbleness in your supply chain. Now, Frank, specific to Transplace, uh, the company's been around, as you've you've hinted to, a, a number of iterations, has exchanged hands through a number of private equity firms, was originally founded through really a merger of, of, a, of large truckloads bringing their brokerage and outsource operations together, and then it's it's gone through a couple of iterations. What, is, what does this look like now, having made those transitions through various uh, ownership cycles, and where, where do you end up taking the business over time? You know, and, and so you're right. I mean, I mean, the company was acquired. Its first private equity cycle was in the 2009 into 2010 with, with uh, uh, CI Capital, then 2013 with Greenbrier, 2017 with TPG. And we're probably, I want to say, 60% through that whole period, maybe a little further than that. Um, and, 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 and the business is, I would say, on or ahead of schedule uh, during that whole period against the plan that we put in front of TPG when they bought us. They've been to all of those companies, and, and I, I can't say this enough, you know, any, any logistics conference panel that I can get on that talks about the value of private equity in these types of relationships um, Every, all three of those companies were unbelievably instrumental in bringing Transplace to kind of where it is today through investment, through acquisition, through talents, through ideas, et cetera. So um, um, at this point, we will probably have an event, if I had to guess, uh, maybe the beginning of 2022, maybe a little further into that. Um, we feel like there are tailwinds pushing us well into 2021. And so we'll see. But but we're on schedule there, and then the question becomes, what happens, right? And and so um, we 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 candidly don't know, right? And 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 we think that there's there's uh, we have maximum optionality at our size, right? And so what I mean by that is we're large enough to IPO, uh, we're large enough to be uh, we're small enough to be held uh, another turn by by another private equity company, and we're right, you know, there's probably you know maybe ten companies in the world that would. Pay, uh, uh, that, that could add could afford to add transplace to their portfolio from a strategic acquisition standpoint. So we, we feel like we still have that optionality. Uh, I can I can tell you that there's very little chance that we'll do an IPO. Uh, we, we just don't uh, uh, we don't want the distraction. We, we uh, uh, and we don't want to be a small publicly traded company. We'd rather be a, a mid to large publicly traded company when that time happens. We probably we we think. That if it's another, uh, uh, let's say, private equity investor, that's likely the outcome um, for next time, but but uh, uh, not this time. So no SPAC merger for Transplace coming up anytime no, no soon. SPAC. Listen, we, uh, 
I can't say we haven't talked about it, but, but there's no SPAC merger anytime uh, for terms of us. I, I wonder if that SPAC cycle is going to continue, or this is a—is this a uh, a whole new thing, or or is this a, is a fad very similar to what we saw with crypto and uh, a lot of yeah. speculation? So uh, well, who who knows? We don't know. Listen, we we didn't spend that much time on it, but I I can't say we did. <laughs> right. So, I uh, imagine uh, your phone gets a lot of bankers that are trying to call to uh, look at a potential IPO down the road or SPAC. But one okay. thing I do go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. It does. It, it, it certainly does. And that's we try and just be as clear as we can without kind of, you know, showing too many cards, if that, if that makes sense. We, we don't want to be coy. We're very mission focused here. And, and you, you, you're well aware that I don't do I don't do this much stuff. It's because we're, we're kind of we're focused on, on the mission, the brand and, and kind of achieving our, our, our goals. And you've made a lot of acquisitions this year. I mean, it's not just a situation where you've had organic growth. But you guys are also very acquisitive and able to use private equity to help you source those deals as well as fund them. That's right. And, and so uh, that part of our business, we are actually uh, sourcing those deals internally now. I mean, we have full-time business development folks and, and team, and, and we actually funded those deals through our own cash flow. Uh, um, and, and so they were, uh, uh, you're, you're well aware, Lane Hub and ScanData and LeanCore, you know, two of them more technology products. Uh, um, and the third uh, was just a beautiful tuck-in to our uh, to our TM portfolio, our managed transportations, and our consulting business. And so, really, really good companies, great management teams, and, and good fit into the business. Yeah, I, I'm familiar with Lane Hub. They're, they were a rise of the rest portfolio fund, uh, which we are also as well. And uh, I was certainly excited that those guys were found a great home with you guys uh, as you think about sort of the next generation generation of their business. I, I'm curious, Frank, when you look at acquisitions, what lens do you look at them from in terms, is it valuation that drives a lot of the interest? Is it looking for strategic uh, tuck-ins that can fit inside your enterprise, new applications? Where are you guys preferenced in terms of the type of acquisitions you like? From our standpoint, we're looking for primarily uh, expanding our platform and the capability of the platform. And what does that, that mean? So anything that adds to scale, adds to modal depth, adds to regional depth or technology depth, we're interested in. And so that's a, I know that's a really large swap, but we take, and there's a lot of things out there and we take a look at them to see if it's a fit. Okay, how does this come in here? Can it stand on its own? How does it plug into our business? Is it you know, is it actually cheaper for me to buy them than to rent them, if, if that makes sense, right? And, and in other words, I'm going to use this service anyhow. So, you, you know, you do that analysis. And so that's really important to us. Um, in the past, we, we really, uh, we, we did a bunch of different things that were more third-party logistics related. Right now, for our, from our standpoint, it, it's very much around adding technical and modal and, and kind of operating capability so that we can bring value to all modes for all shippers. And, and so if we have a gap, you know, as an example, scan data. I mean, we had already had a, a parcel capability. And so we were doing that. We we're shipping millions of parcels a year through the platform. But scan data is, you know, you know multi-carrier optimization and everything that's going on in that uh, parcel business right now with with the GRIs and, and, and people really needing choice and the rise of other companies in that space um, gave us a capability that would have taken, taken me probably 18 months to build, you know? And, and so 
Um, very, very important acquisition for us and our customers. What we're seeing is that, you know, you have people that spend 50, 100 to 200 million on freight and they have this parcel spend that's 10 million, maybe 15 million. And it doesn't get all of their attention because they're shippers and, and they're trying to think of how do you support their direct to consumer or uh, uh, their, their direct to consumer strategy. And they're saying, boy, that's that's really helpful to us. If I can access that through your platform, then then that's a home run for us, right? And so, and traditionally, that's been brought into the supply chain. Traditionally, that was really dealt with kind of at the warehouse level, you know. And and so, um, hey, we got a, we we got a shipment for you know small parcel shipment for this. Now we're bringing it in. It's part of the overall solution as folks are trying to get uh, more competitive and reach more consumers directly. And is that a big driver of when you guys look at taking existing customers that are on the TransPlace platform? Is it is it really taking this uh, parcel solution through your organization and through your customer base? Well, it's, it's, is it a driver? It's a consideration. It's not the driver. The driver is is for sure. Um, it's not only that, but you're also looking at uh, what's that tech platform and all the technology folks that work on that platform actually bring to the aggregate, right? And then also, here's an entire class of shippers that we might not have wanted to do business with before because they might have been 50% parcel and 50% something else, and, and it opens up new markets for us as well. Same, uh, the, same, the same is with Europe, as an example. We, we open up an office in Europe uh, um, in, in, in the first quarter, and, um, and I, I can honestly say I haven't even seen it yet. And, and so but we've got <laughs> terrific people on the ground there. And, and we have three shippers uh, that are going live uh, in the fourth and first quarter of next year and, and three more on the way, um, all on the same instance of our platform, just so that we have a little bit more of a global reach. I've wondered if that was impacting M&A activity. You talked about the fact that you guys you know, had purchased this company, I assume, before COVID hit. But I actually wonder... It's hard to do diligence, uh, on-site diligence, when you can't get on an airplane and come into a country. So I, no, I would imagine that slows things down. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, but the Europe is a greenfield for us. And so we had hired people there uh, more than a year ago to kind of just start the process. What do we need? And so they were over here working with us in our technology, making sure that, that we were adapting the, uh, the platform to be able to support you know, local routing guides, obviously currency, a unit of measure language, and also some of the Europe, uh, European IT laws around privacy, et cetera. And, and so that's all being done. The, but, but you're exactly right. I mean, we started all three of those acquisitions prior to COVID. And then you're in the middle of it and you're saying, well, geez, what is their, real, what is their deal, uh, their year really going to look like? And how do, I, how do I pay 2019 valuations when I don't know how they uh, live during COVID? And, and we're thrilled to say that, that um, certainly we did Lane Hub in January, so that doesn't really count. But, but for Scandata and LeanCore, we saw them live and in COVID, and we saw incredibly resilient businesses there. Were they on plan? No. Were they hanging in there? Uh, without a doubt. You know, and, and so really, that was a terrific in-year resiliency test for us, uh, um, which this year has been for a lot of shippers as it relates to how they do business. You know, a lot of, a lot of companies coming out of this cycle pretty much saying, Jesus, my supply chain is resilient as I as it needs to be. Um, what am I actually doing about it? And which goes to your nearshoring comment. I talked to a lot of uh, venture capitalists that 
have a both logistics focus, some that are really narrowly focused, which is fewer than than what most people would suspect, as big as the industry is. And then I talked to other venture capitalists that are talking about how all of a sudden supply chain has become in, important for them. Are you also seeing that in the sort of private equity uh, market where the PE firms have, have realized how important supply chain and having a robust supply chain is? And what value that could potentially brings in terms of the assets? You know, the way I look at it, first of all, there's never been greater PE interest or investment interest in our space. I mean, you know it and you, you live it firsthand, right? And, and, and as it should be, by the way, it's our, we're experiencing a renaissance in our space. And it's, it's, long, it's a long time coming and, and it's terrific. So it's a great place to invest money in a time where interest rates are where they are and there's a lot of dry powder. The other side of that is, is that um, private equity companies that just have a regular portfolio of industrial businesses um, recognize, if you look at just even 2018, 2019, 2020, how is freight not in the boardroom all three of those years because it's impacting people's budgets, right? And, and so um, 2019, more of a positive year, right? Everybody kind of beat their, their freight budget that year. But 2018 and 2020 really focused on all right, what's going on in our business? Do we have to wait every three years to kind of get lucky for uh, to really have control of our cost and control of our service levels? And so that's what drives uh, uh, more private equity challenging and more forcing of, let's just say, uh, investment in technology or an investment in, in third-party relationships like ours. When I was growing up, my dad often talked about oil prices and the cost of energy really driving economic cycles. Uh, but what's interesting is that in today's economy, logistics and transportation costs are actually take the energy cost out of it completely. It's actually a larger portion of our economy. And so, as right. you mentioned, you know, transportation costs should be top of mind for a lot of CEOs. Uh, and I do think it's getting, obviously, COVID has sort of created this real narrow focus on, on how impactful that can be. But uh, I certainly suspect that it, I think every CEO should be talking about it or every CFO should be thinking about it in terms of budgeting. There's no doubt. But, but in addition to that, you know, what else has entered the boardroom? Customer differentiation, right? Service differentiation, consumer needs, right? All, many of those things are supply chain issues. They're, they're, they're you know, supply chain capability issues that customers have to overcome in order to compete in this marketplace, right? And so you look at the performance of the companies that have been, been investing in e-commerce capability during COVID versus the retailers that haven't been invested in e-commerce capability during COVID, right? And it's night and day, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of those things uh, um, uh, this time is forcing that conversation upward. It's, it's, and it's certainly more about cost, more than just cost, if you know. Yeah, I, I sa I've said this, uh, I've given a, a number of talks about the fact that if a company doesn't understand logistics and doesn't have that DNA as part of their organization, if they're in any type of retail manufacturer, any product uh, uh, experienced business, if they don't understand logistics, they're not going to survive the next decade. Now, I said that last year, but but this basically 10 years of technology evolution and societal evolution has been compressed into 2020. And so I think your point is spot on about how important it is. I, I do want to get your, th your thoughts on the venture capital cycle 
there have been a number of companies that have gotten you know outsized valuations uh, relative to what the market traditionally supports. What are your thoughts on how sustainable those valuations are? Where does this all end up? You know, well, well first of all, I don't know where it's all going to end up. Um, what, what has to end up is that uh, these companies at some point have to, sh- has to show a model that's differentiated, resilient, and ultimately profitable, and, um, or uh, those valuations will go away and the support will go away. And I think it's that simple. And, and um, I mean, we saw really before COVID the impact of WeWork, right, and, and some of the pushback that was getting. And then you saw uh, some other IPOs that either pulled away um, because of what the market was doing. And, and I, I do think the market's beginning to push uh, significantly on understanding a real path to profitability and what are the near-term milestones that need to be covered in order to get that. And, and so, um, but uh, listen, um, we've talked about this before. Some of those companies really are interesting and the work that they're doing is really interesting. And to me, when I talk about kind of the renaissance of technology in this industry, this industry is it needs that, right? And, and so, um, but as you're well aware, it's incredibly fragmented. And if you look at kind of the, the, the entire touch points across the industry, it's from the lowest tech common denominator, which could be three people in a truck, right? To these incredibly sophisticated, uh, uh, and, and that's where all the fragmentation is, to these incredibly sophisticated aggregators, right? And, and so, how does that all work? And ultimately, how does that how does that deliver value to the shipper, right? Because at the end, if it doesn't, then what is it really? Yeah, it's it's amazing when you think about the fact that you know Transplace at eleven billion dollars, you know, eleven and a half billion dollars of, of freight under management is the largest managed transportation company. It's one of the largest uh, North American and global transportation companies in terms of total throughput. Yet. As a percent of the total global freight, you guys are, are a relatively small company. We're a drop in the ocean. And, and so there's significant opportunity for significant scaling, right? And, and, it, and it's not just here. We're dropping the ocean in North America. Forget about the global spend, right? But then think about bringing all this on. Think about everything that we do. And, and you know, we've talked about this before, digitization. I've... 1,100 people at this point managing $11 billion of freight, very successfully, like incredibly successful, right? And so think about pulling that into ocean and air, right, and, and global flows. And then, I mean, this is the most, in my opinion, one of the most mature markets in the world for this. There's significant global opportunity for taking these concepts and pushing them both into the global, uh, uh, into into intra intercontinental flows as well as other intercontinental flows, and putting it all together, I think it makes a ton of sense. And and so we see nothing but upside. I mean, you you mentioned having a significant cross border presence in Mexico. I imagine uh, that also gives you ample opportunity to move into deeper into Latin America, and and as you mentioned, do an intra country or inter regional. Transportation. Um, you know, right. it seems like Latin America is going through uh, is really 30 to 50 years behind uh, the United States in terms of transportation infrastructure. Sure, that's I, I think that's right, and and so uh, we're seeing in Mexico as an example. It's probably the largest area of growth of our managed transportation services. And five years ago, that technology wasn't that interesting to the marketplace, right? And so. 
Um, that market's maturing at a very at a very quick rate. But pretty much what they're saying is, we want the automation, we want the visibility, we want the metrics uh, to understand how this is really happening for us, so we can actually drive performance. And that's starting. I mean, that 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 has started years ago with what I would say major uh, international conglomerates, pretty much saying, I've, I've I've got North America handled. I don't really have visibility of what's going on in Mexico, and pretty much saying investing, and we're bringing it all together for them, kind of in a in a, in a continental way, and Mexico should be uh, a good launch point for us for further south. And, and we recognize that. And, and I, all I can say is 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 that there's a need there, um, and, and and our customers are asking for us to be there. There is an upside to all the disruptions that take place if you're in the industry, if you're a provider, is that all of a sudden, as you mentioned, we've talked a lot about supply chain, getting investment, getting a seat at the suite, a lot more focus and investment in it. What is the most important thing that TransPlace is hearing from its customers that they're looking for you guys to provide? It's not just one thing. Right, and and so it is uh, for us. It's it's uh, um, it's the evolution. If you look at the evolution of our business, it's what we're hearing from the marketplace. I mean, we just listen, right? And and so um, the evolution from just a transportation management provider to wrapping domain expertise around that, to taking on all freight audit payments, and then to building kind of a control tower and a platform that gives them not only kind of AI supported like health health scores on their shipping. They understand where the problems are before they happen, but also the visibility and the metrics. And then here's the key thing. They want to be able to have the network bring value because of the size of the network. And so in the old days, you could really just say, I, you know, we buy a lot of freight. We buy a lot of freight every year for our customers. I mean, billions and billions and billions. Our top line is only three and a half billions of dollars, but we procure actually many more billions than that and just hand the paper over to our, to our clients. And what they're saying is that, how do you make that work for me? So why do we buy a lane hub? Why do I invest in AI? Because lane hub for me, it's, it's, it's kind of dynamic continuous moves is, is our AI investment that's happening today inside our business. And lane hub is really what we call a static continuous move. And that's, that's sitting in a route guide with an engineer continuous move saying, I'm using this company's fleet to move, say, 10% of this lane for you. And it's incredibly worthwhile to you. And so... They have everything they need, but they want to be able to see the, and feel the leverage, and they want to see it working for them in a tangible way. That's what we see. Well, Frank, thank you so much for being here today. Um, certainly, how, how do people get in touch with you? Is LinkedIn the best way to reach out to you? Sure, yeah, 100%. Love to, uh, love to say hello if you want to reach out. All right, thank you. Thank you.